Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. All right, I think we'll go ahead and get started. I think we made 150 copies. I wasn't really sure how many people would stay in here, um, so sorry about that. They're making more copies right now, and then we'll get those handed out. Um, so if you're wondering why I'm up here, then that probably makes at least two of us. Uh, see, I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. Uh, I don't know Greek or Hebrew, although I do have the Strong Concordance app. Um, I'm not really even a teacher, necessarily. I don't have any training in teaching. My wife has a degree in teaching. I don't know anything about teaching formally. Um, so what is this exactly? What did you come to? Ultimately, what this kind of boils down to is this is kind of a distillation of where I'm at in my own personal Bible study. And by the way, I, I hope each one of you can do that, uh, that you could tell your children or your family members or friends, here's what the Holy Spirit's teaching me right now. Um, you know, if you ask me a year from now, this may be different. God's truth is not going to change, but my understanding of it might change. Um, so if you've, been, if you've been at tables where I've taught in the um, small tables, round, uh, round table groups, you've heard this disclaimer. I, I liked it so much I've stolen it from somebody else uh, that was a, a Bible teacher. And that comes from Acts 17.11. It says, these are more noble than those in Thessalonica, referring to the Bereans, in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So this is the Holy Spirit's warning to you. He says, don't listen to anything Dan Clank is about to tell you unless you can square it up with the scriptures. So with that, uh, let's ask for his help and we'll start and we'll open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come and to look at just how great you are, how you revealed yourself in your revelation. And we would just ask with the psalmist, open now our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, maybe you've heard this phrase, believe the science. Um, it's kind of a popular phrase right now. You know, what are we supposed to believe exactly? And what, what is science? What does it mean by that? Um, really, the word science just means knowledge. And it's derived from a Latin term meaning knowledge. And if a popular uh, definition of this, this comes from Wikipedia. Sorry about the small font. Again, I wasn't quite sure how this would look up here, but I'll, I'll read all these to you. So it just says, a systematic enterprise that uh, builds and organizes knowledge in the form that's testable, that's a key word there, it's testable explanations and predictions of the universe, or about the universe. Um, so that's what knowledge is, or what science is, um, referring to knowledge. So there's different branches of science. Social science, does the Bible have anything to say about that? Well, yeah, it does. It has a lot to say about how we interact with other people. So that's social science. There's formal science. That would be like math, kind of computer logic. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Well, I actually think there's some very interesting, surprising uh, mathematical structures. That's very much a fringe thing. I'm trying to keep a lid on my fringe ideas. So. We're going to go on to physical science, and those are what you would think of as, you know, chemistry or physics or astronomy, things like that. There's a real key distinction, though. Uh, the word science in our modern vernacular often gets interchanged with the word truth. You might hear, well, scientifically it was proven, or the science says, and it's, it's, it's sort of implied that you're supposed to believe that this is truth. And so I want to look at somebody in the Bible who was interested in truth. So we're going to turn over to John 18. And you're familiar with this story, the story of Pilate. Um, and Jesus, of course, is standing before him as, as part of this particular trial. And so in verse 37 of John 18, um, Pilate's asking, are you a king? He says, to this end was I born. Um, 
You know, I, I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth, so there's our word. Everyone that's of the truth heareth my voice. And then that famous question that Pilate asks, he says, what is truth? And so there's a couple other series of events that happens. And then the Jews say, hey, this guy was claiming to be the son of God. Now, now Pilate's starting to get nervous. He's starting to squirm a little bit. So he goes back and he's like, okay, I'm going to start this over. Where are you from? So now we're in uh, John 19, um, verse 9. And so I want, to, I want to look at the next two verses. And it says, then said Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not? So, okay, so there's, there's the first thing. He, the, Pilate has knowledge. In fact, Pilate really didn't have a problem getting hold of knowledge. He didn't have the internet, but he could snap his fingers and say, hey, what's our military strength in the city right now? What's our wheat stores? What's the tax revenue from the eastern province? See, he didn't really have a problem, problem getting a hold of knowledge. So, so now he's going to try to push some knowledge onto Jesus. So look what he says next. He says, Knowest thou not um, that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? So his knowledge is correct. He, in fact, is the personal representative of the rule of the world at that time. So his knowledge is correct. But remember, Pilate was asking about truth. So now Jesus is going to deliver some truth to him. Verse 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath a greater sin. So here, so we have knowledge, you know, I have the power. The truth is, you're just a pawn in this. And so there, there's a very important distinction between knowledge and truth. And so when we think about science and things that are presented as science, we need to understand the difference. So in a, in a modern situation, let's say, you know, we have scientists, you know, we've looked at the human genome and we've figured out that there's a lot of DNA that doesn't actually produce the end product to make, you know, who you are. And so we're going to call this, you know, so one, once you get untethered from the truth, you can have the correct knowledge but end up with the wrong conclusion. And so scientists that say, you know, so we've got all this DNA that doesn't seem to code for anything, so we're going to call this junk DNA. So this is, this is junk because that makes sense if we evolve from something lower, then we've, you know, we don't need this anymore and we have these other functions and so we, this DNA that was sort of left behind is junk. And of course it turns out that the only thing that's junk is our understanding of what the DNA is actually for. So again, once you become untethered from the truth that we we're talking about here, you draw the wrong conclusion even with a correct knowledge. And so that, I've spent a little bit of time on this, but I, I think it's a very important distinction that, uh, that we want to make uh, here. So we'll move on. Um, what about science in the Bible? Um, does it actually speak about scientific subjects? Well, I'm going to argue, yeah, it does, in fact, speak about it. Is it accurate? Uh, and does it matter? Well, in fact, yes, it does matter, because if, if it wasn't accurate, then that implies either of two things. Either the author is trying to intentionally deceive us about something, or he doesn't know what he's talking about. So it does matter that it's accurate. In the, so if you're looking at the King James, the word science is actually only used twice. In Daniel 1.4, uh, talked about the Israelites who the Babylonians were coming and picking out these particular ones that were cunning in knowledge and understanding science. So that same word in science is used later, the, the, the same Hebrew word is used later on in the chapter where it says the Lord gave them knowledge and skill. And so th there seems to be a subtle distinction, though, between this, this particular knowledge that he's talking about here. Um, perhaps it means more of kind of understanding the skill to take, you know, knowledge and data and use it to do something useful. Um, again, I'm, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so take that with a grain of salt. 
Uh, and then in 1 Timothy, Paul talks about uh, oppositions of science, or in every other time, that word is translated as knowledge. So there there's must be something about, uh, so, so science falsely so-called, so there must be some type of false knowledge, so we need to be aware of that as well. Um, so what about science in the Bible? What types of science? This is, not a, a, this is certainly not an exclusive list or exhaustive list. Astronomy, that's sort of the first thing that comes to mind. We say, yeah, we can look and we can see the heavens declare the glory of God. That's, that's pretty obvious. Um, what about particle physics? I mean, they didn't know anything about that back then, but does the Bible speak to that? We're going we're gonna to touch on that. Again, I refer you back to my original disclaimer. Um, hit the right button here. So with uh, biology, we're going to touch a little bit more, obviously talks about that, more in the third week. So we'll, we'll move on from there. What about God's revelation? So we're talking about uh, what, what does he reveal through his creation? Well, one way he reveals himself, of course, is his word. In Psalms 19, 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. There, and there's many, many verses talking about God's word in this. Uh, John 1.14 says, The word is made flesh and dwelt among us. So it's the personification of the word of God. And then what about his creation? So that's his other way that he reveals himself uh, to us. Psalms 19.1, I already talked about that. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. I mean, we can look around. This is also obvious. We can look around and see just the beauty of what God's created and see the design and the incredible intricacies uh, in his creation. So that's how, uh, that's God's revelation. What about his work? So when I think about God's work, I, I sort of think of two broad categories. Of course, the creation and then redemption. So he, he created the world. He redeemed the world. And one question I think about is, uh, or, or a way you could, one perspective is, so how much space is actually spent discussing each of these two works? Well, you know, creation, you know, you've got two chapters in Genesis, you've got some in Job, uh, you've got a little bit in Isaiah, of course, Psalms has verses scattered throughout, and there's other verses kind of throughout the Bible, but on a percentage basis, you know, it's, it's actually kind of small. Well, what about redemption? Um, go back. Um, re redemption, you know, it, it starts in Genesis 3, and, it's, and that's pretty much the theme of the whole rest of the book, right? So it's, it, he spends a lot of time talking about redemption. And then the other way to look at that is, what was the cost of each? So the cost of creation, you could sort of flippantly say, well, it cost him six days of work, I guess. Um, but that was just six days for God. But then what about the uh, cost of redemption? It cost him his son. He had to send his son to pay for my sins. And that cost was huge, of course. And then we want to ask, well, are, can the acts should be separable? And, and I would argue, no, they're not really separable. You know, he created this amazing creation. Of course, it was perfect when he created it, but then we marred it. We broke our relationship with him, and so he had to, again, pay for redemption. And so he loved his creation so much that he was willing to send his son to redeem his creation. So I would argue that they're not really separable. So what about the purpose? Again, probably not an exhaustive list. This is just some of the things that I came up with. They declare the glory of God. Um, we already talked about Psalm 19.1, and I'll just tack this verse on. We, we may get into this a little bit more next week. Um, Revelation 21.23, it says, And the city, referring to the New Jerusalem, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So which was it? Was it the glory of God that's lighting it, or was it the Lamb? Yes. I, I would argue that those are almost synonymous. God's 
part of God's glory and the thing that he glories most in, just, just by how much volume is in the Bible about the topic, is his ability to redeem us, to redeem us back to himself. Um, so another purpose would be it shows his handiwork, and, and the, uh, the handiwork of God is obvious. You just have to look around. Um, Genesis 1.8 says, and God called the firmament heaven. So the handiwork in the heavens, you can see. You can go out at night, and you can see his handiwork. It also marks time. Uh, Genesis 1.14 says, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. So there's one division. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Season is translated in the, in the, in the, that's in the King James. If you have another version, it might say appointed times. So we're going to talk a little bit about these appointed times. So there are very specific marks of time that God designated in the Bible. Um, so what about some of the characteristics of the heavens? So this is, I just went down through and some of the things that uh, God talks about. What, what, what are the heavens like? Well, they're made by his word. Um, so God created them by his word. Um, they contain his mercy and faithfulness. And I, I don't, I'm not going to go through all, read all these verses. We just don't have time to, to go through that. Um, but I've, I've listed them there for you. Um, they also declare his righteousness. That's in Psalms 97. They are the location of his throne. And interestingly, also, not only are they the location of his throne, they're also the location, I didn't put this in there from Psalms 2, but they're the location from which he's going to laugh. He says he's going to laugh at these confederate of nations that come against him. He's going to have them in derision. So it's not just a chuckle. It's a, a full-out mocking of their thought that they can come against him. And they're also stretched out. This is kind of an interesting concept as well. I've listed multiple verses there, and this, these are not all the verses. There's almost a dozen of them that say the heavens are, are stretched out. I mean, what, what does that exactly mean? Um, we do know from uh, data that we've collected now that, in fact, the universe is actually expanding. So when he says stretched out, it, it is truly accurate that it's stretched out and being, being stretched out. Um, one of the things, though, that's sort of, uh, sort of a fundamental uh, shift in our thinking is the heavens are going to change. You know, we think about a lot of things that are changing in the world around us, but the heavens, I mean, they're, they're kind of similar every single time. You can look up on the online and you can find out exactly when some particular star is going to rise, when it's going to be a zenith, when it's going to set, and that's because it's very predictable. But it's not always going to be that way. The heavens are going to change. They're going to be shaken. You know, Isaiah talks about that. Haggai talks about that. I mean, what, what does that even mean? How, how, how can you actually shake the heavens? I, I don't know. I can't explain all of this to you, but these are, these are some of the facts that God is presenting in his word. He wants to tell us about this. This is coming. Be, be aware of this. They're going to be dissolved and rolled together like a scroll. Now, now there's an interesting uh, topic as well. You know, if you have a sheet of paper, you think of that sort of as, as two-dimensional, but if you're going to roll it, it actually becomes three-dimensional, so it adds a dimension. That, that's, a, that's an interesting topic as well. They're going to be torn. Um, I mean, how, how, how do you tear the heavens? They're going to be worn out. Uh, you know, again, how, how do you wear out the heavens? Is this, is this like the elastic? You know, the, they were stretched, right? So is it like elastic, you know, that gets stretched too much? and it's worn? I, I don't know. They're going to be darkened. Now, that's going to be dramatic. Uh, Joel talks about that, and Matthew uh, predicts that as well. But the heavens will be darkened. That, that's going to get people's attention for sure. They're going to be burned up. Um, in 2 Peter 3.10, says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So the heavens are going to be burned up, but thankfully they're going to be created new. Isaiah 66.2 talks about that, a new heaven and a new earth. 
It goes without saying it's an immense size. Um, the thing is, we can't really understand how immense. We, we just can't wrap our mind around it. Um, one way to think about it is if you take the, the looking at the solar system, so we're going to make the sun uh, think about sharpening a pencil to a very sharp point, putting a tiny speck on a piece of paper. So I'm going to put that you know, here on the pulpit here. And then the Earth would be an astronomical unit, so the distance from the sun to the Earth, that'd be about an inch. And the, the whole solar system would fit about in a seven-foot circle here. Our, our nearest star, so this would be our nearest neighbor called Alpha Centauri, you can see that mostly in the southern hemisphere, would also be another tiny little speck on the other side of the St. Vincent campus on 86th Street, so about four and a half miles away. Everything in between is just empty space. It's just vast. And, and keep in mind, that is our nearest star in our galaxy. So when you try to think that, through that, what, what does this really mean as far as how big it is, you, you really can't wrap your mind. We just don't have the capability to, to wrap our mind around that, just how immense it is. Um, another way to think about it is if the, if the speck in St. Vincent, uh, four miles, four and a half miles away, is, can, you know, another way to think about that is, let's say the sun is a golf ball. And, so our nearest star would be another golf ball roughly in New Orleans, about 700 miles away. So it's, again, just vast, vast uh, uh, size. So, so, but why go through this exercise? Well, in Isaiah 55.8, uh, I, I think this may be, and I don't know all the reasons why he did this, but maybe why he created such a huge, I mean, he could have made a smaller universe for sure. He could have made a bigger one. But I, I think um, in Isaiah 55.8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my ways your ways. So he's going to give a comparison now. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so when we think about the vastness, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what God is saying there, he says, I'm not like you. It's not like I'm just smarter than you or more powerful than you. I'm not like you. I'm, I'm completely different. Yes, you're created in my image, but I, I am very different from you. And that, that's an important concept, too. Uh, and Solomon recognized this in Second Chronicles. He said, you know, there's no way. I, I built this you know, house for you here on earth, this temple, but there's no way it can contain you. The heavens of heavens can't even contain you. So what about the, I, I sort of debated what to call this slide. Should I call it immense smallness? That didn't seem really to go together. Uh, so the building blocks of matter. Um, so you probably maybe learned this if you took chemistry or physics in school. You might have learned this. You know, atoms are you know, very small, obviously. They have a nucleus around which are either one electron or more, more than one electrons, kind of in a, they're orbiting sort of in a cloud type of pattern. Uh, the atoms are composed of even smaller units, uh, uh, the nucleus specifically of protons and neutrons, and those are compo composed of smaller units still. So the protons and neutrons, they're made out of elementary particles, or we think elementary particles. Uh, quarks is the name that was given to that. They're very, very small. Uh, so this is, an atom is uh, 10 to the 8th, or 10 to the minus 8th centimeters. So that's, you know, a fraction of 1 over 1 followed by 8 zeros. Very small, but the actual size, not that important here. But again, the scale is important. So the, the atom, of course, is very small, but the nucleus is infinitesimally even smaller than that. So 10 to the minus 13. So we're talking five orders of magnitude, meaning that you add five more zeros to that, that fraction. So the nucleus actually, again, is... The atom is mostly empty space. The nucleus is extremely small. So when you, when you say that's distance, you, when you talk about volume, though, you, you have to cube that. So that's 10 to the 15. So add 15 more zeros to how small the nucleus is compared to the atom. 
Uh, we, that's a number, we, again, we really can't wrap our mind around. One way to think about it is that's as one second is to 30 million years. So again, the atom is just almost empty space. If you were to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say, you know, I'm, I'm standing here at this pulpit, you know, I knock on this wood, and you were to say, no, there's nothing there, you're actually technically far more correct than I am. It's mostly empty. Um, but it's the it's electrical forces, and, that, and we're not going to get into all this. This is not a particle physics course, but I'm just trying to give you a sense of, of you know how God has created this. But what what does that matter? Um, so we'll, let's first go into these basic forces uh, that that uh, hold the universe together. So we're familiar with gravity. You know, if you hold something up, you drop it, it's going to fall. We're all kind of familiar with that. We're kind of familiar with electromagnetism as well. We live in the modern world. You know, you have a phone, you have electricity at your home, and a lot of our world runs on electromagnetism. I mean, electricity and magnetism are really kind of the opposite sides of the same coin. But then some other things we're not quite as familiar with, there's the, what they call the strong nuclear force. And so that whole, we talked about quarks and how they form matter. The strong nuclear force is what holds the quarks together and allows them to actually form these protons, which forms mass, which forms the rest of the, the, rest of the universe. And then there's also the weak nuclear force, uh, and that's involved in fission and fusion. So think about radioactivity. Um, you may have heard of this uh, particular topic, the God particle. Um, this is about 10 years ago. Uh, this was discovered. It's been predicted for a long time. They weren't able to, to find it just because we didn't have the technology and the, the power of the, there's something called the Large Hadron Collider uh, in Switzerland, and they were able to discover this particular particle. And the, the irony, of course, is that Higgs, who's a physician, he was a, he's an avowed atheist. I mean, the idea that this, in the popular media, got the, the title, the God particle, would just, you know, <laughs> go against everything in his nature. And he wasn't, he wasn't too happy about that. You'll never hear physicists call it the God particle. Uh, they're going to call it the Higgs boson. But in the, there, there's a book, a relatively popular book, if you're, you know, read science-type materials, that was called the God particle. And so the Higgs boson discovered relatively recently, and uh, it gives mass to every, every other uh, particle and, and therefore <laughs> allows being of, 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 of everything. Um, so in, in uh, Colossians, though, uh, we, we want to... Uh, talk about this. Uh, let me get my notes here. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So all the things that we can't see, of course we can see the heavens, we can see you know, things around us. We can't see this stuff at, at this level. We can't see protons and atoms. But God created those. As Jesus, is, it says, referring to, it refers to him, for by him, refers to Jesus, where all things create. So he lists the visible things, the invisible things, and he lists dominions, principalities, powers, which I think I'm talking about spiritual realms. All things were created by him. So there, there's no exception clause there. All things were created by him, and he is before all things. So he, he, he's the first cause. He's before all things. And then this key phrase, and by him all things consist. So what that means is all things are held together. When the word consists there means they're held together. So when we talk about these strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. God is the one that's, he's, he's that force, he is producing that force to hold things together, which then kind of begs the question, if he's holding them together, could he let go? And we, we already mentioned this, Second uh, Peter 3.10, I've read this to you. Yeah, he could let go, and in fact, he will. The elements are going to melt with fervent heat. We're not really familiar with that concept other than a few instances. You know, you might think about uh, Hiroshima or Bikini Atoll, 
uh, Fukushima, um, Chernobyl, things like that, but that was a really small amount of matter that the elements melted with fervent heat. Um, and just imagine that on a large scale. So right now, Christ is the, he's the consistor. He's the one that is holding everything together. And so that's, that's why it's important, I think, just to touch briefly on, on this particle physics. It's, it's a very complicated uh, topic, and anybody who tells you that they understand particle physics and quantum mechanics probably lied to you about other things. So heavens also mark time. So in Leviticus 23, he lists feasts, and there's seven feasts, and it's very, it's very interesting. We don't have a lot of time. I, I need to keep moving, but uh, I just want to touch on this briefly. So there's these seven feasts that the Israelites are supposed to keep, and of course they were all pointing toward Christ. The whole book of Leviticus points at Christ, and these feasts specifically, you know, the Passover feast. So Christ was our Passover lamb. He came. He died on Passover. He's, you know, the, the uh, unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread. He's the bread of life. The Feast of First Fruits. You know, the, the Feast of First Fruits was the day after the Sabbath after Passover. So, what that means was that the priests in the temple, they were waving the sheaf of barley for the Feast of First Fruits on that Sunday morning when there were two ladies going to go to a tomb and find it was open and it was empty. And 2 Corinthians 15 20 talks about how Christ, he was risen from the dead, he became our first fruits. So, he, he fulfilled that first fruits. And then after that, 49 days had to pass, and the day following was the, the Feast of Shavuot. We know it as Pentecost, so 50 days Pentecost. And that's, you know, of course, when the church was, uh, was started, which brings all kinds of interesting questions about what about the fall feast? What about the Feast of Trumpets, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the, the Day of Atonement? What, what does all that mean? It's, we, we don't have time to go into that. It's a, a fascinating study. I would encourage you to, to look into that if that interests you. Um, so not only does it mark time as far as the feast, but it marks time as far as the days. In Luke 19:41, Jesus, he had just come into, uh, into the city, a uh, triumphal entry. It says, when he came near, he beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, if, this, if thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace. So what Jesus was saying was, I was scheduled to be here today. Not, it wasn't yesterday, and it's not going to be tomorrow. He was scheduled to be here today, and, and that's, uh, that, that's from Daniel 9. That's, Daniel 9 is really a linchpin of, of biblical prophecy. Uh, again, I don't have time to go into this, but I really encourage you to, to study that. He, he was, it was a specific day that he was supposed to be there. The, the Holy Spirit already predicted in Daniel 9 when the Messiah was going to show up. Remember, they tried to make him king before, but he said, no, it's not my time. He got away from them. It wasn't his day. This was his day. He came in, but they missed it, which is kind of interesting. You know, Jesus apparently expected his listeners to know and to understand prophecy. And that's, you know, that's kind of convicting to me as well. Do, do I know, you know his word? In Matthew 23, 37, um, he says, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings? And this was, you know, one of my Bible teachers I listened to, he said, this was the purpose of all history. It was Christ trying to restore that relationship. The relationship's been broken. He's trying to restore that. And it says, you know, then the next phrase, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. So that's the tragedy of all history. But of course it doesn't end there. There's the triumph of all history. It says, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is going to be fixed. This is going to be fixed in the end. Um, but so heavens marked time. They, they were scheduled to be, you know, Christ was scheduled to be in Jerusalem on that day, presented as the Messiah. 
Uh, and so that's just one of the ways that they mark time. Of course, his second coming, he doesn't tell us a day. You know, this is not predicted. He says, you know, we don't know the day or the hour. Um, but, but there are specific uh, prophetic implications in the Bible. Uh, you can read those. Uh, and he tells us about what's going to happen so that we'll know. We can be prepared for it. So speaking of time, this is where things get weird. What about time as a dimension? Um, there's something called the Lorenz transformation. Uh, we're, we're not going to get into this a lot. It's a sort of complicated math. But if you've been through a physics class, uh, you, you may have um, done this thought experiment. So we're going we're gonna to have two twins. They're going to be astronauts. One's going to stay here in command and control. One's going to go on a rocket ship, and he's going to go to our nearest star. So again, we talked about Alpha Centauri, four and a half light years away. And we're going to send them nearly at the speed of light, 99.99% uh, the speed of light. So he's going to go there and back. So it's going to be roughly nine-year trip uh, that's going to pass here. But so he, he, they're going to each carry, you know, have a clock, and the clock on what gets really weird is the clock on the spaceship is only going to register 37 days. Now it's nine years here on Earth, but the, when he gets back, the guy on the spaceship is only 37 days older. Now if that doesn't really bother you, you probably weren't listening. You know, we 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 can't really comprehend that as humans because we're bound by time as a dimension. We 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 just can't understand how how can how can time change like that. So it turns out really that time is a physical property. So it depends on speed and gravity, acceleration, which then, you know, so is God bound by speed or gravity or acceleration? He's not. He's not bound by time. So he, he's an eternal God. It's not like he has lots of time. He, he is actually outside the dimension of time. That's sort of a, it, it, again, it, it's very hard to, to wrap your mind around this. And again, I, I refer you to my original disclaimer. Um, but I want to look at Exodus 3.14. This is where Moses was uh, really met God kind of for the first time. Um, and God's, you know, they're talking to him at the burning bush there, and Moses said, well, what am I supposed to tell them that you're, you're, what's your name? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent you unto me, unto you. It's kind of a, a weird grammatical uh, text there. I mean, wh why doesn't he say, I, you know, I've been around for a long time, I'm going to be around for a long time. He just said, I am. I, I exist. I, I, I am God. You know, there's no time in, in my world. Uh, you know, he's, he, God is outside the, the dimension of time. So, so then that brings a question, well, what about, could there be other dimensions? I mean, we're kind of locked in these three dimensions and the dimensions of time, so you think of sort of time as a fourth dimension. Could there be other dimensions? Um, so 1 John 3, 2, I kind of think of this as a, as a physics uh, verse. It says, behold, now, we are the sons, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So there's something about how we are now that's different than we're going to be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's something, John, remember, John was an eyewitness. He saw Jesus as he was on earth. But he really didn't see Jesus as he was in his full glory. Psalm 17, uh, 15 also uh, has some implications of that. As for me... I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. So, again, you know, kind of take this, uh, take this with a grain of salt, but this is just some of the, the, where I'm at kind of in my study. Luke 24, 36 to 43, we don't have time to read all this, but this is a story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Remember that he came along and he was talking to these guys. They were really down, you know, all these terrible things that happened. We thought this guy was the Messiah. 
he was crucified, we don't know what to do. And so he walks alongside him, he's, you know, he starts talking to him and says he started with Moses, the prophets, and the parallel passage says the Psalms also. So he went through the Old Testament, he basically gave them a synopsis of Christology, of Christ in the Old Testament. He said this was all supposed to happen, this was all scheduled, this was all happened exactly like it was planned. And so they, of course, they got to the house and, you know, they, they, they did not recognize him at all uh, during this time. And Jesus broke social protocol because the guest was the one that was supposed to, to break the bread. But Jesus broke the bread uh, when, when they went to the house, if you read the passage. And I can imagine, I, I don't know what it was about the, that they didn't recognize him, but then suddenly did. But if you think about it, you know, if he, if he took the bread and he broke it, you know, they, they probably recognized that, oh, wait a minute, there's, there's those scars on his hands. So they, they immediately hightailed back to Jerusalem. I, I imagine they got back to Jerusalem a lot faster than they got to Emmaus. And they're talking to the people there in the upper room who were afraid. And verse 36, it says, and as they thus spake, so they were telling about, you wouldn't believe who we just met. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. So here Jesus was, of course, they were terrified. And Jesus said, well, you know, peace be unto you. Don't, don't be afraid. He, and they thought he was a spirit. You know, the, remember the doors, it said the doors being shut. So the doors were shut. They presumably had a ceiling and a floor. But here Jesus shows up. He wasn't a spirit. He said, he, I'm, I'm flesh and bone. Look at me, I'm flesh and bone. So he somehow came through these walls, at, not as a spirit, but as flesh and blood. He said, hey, give me something to eat. I'll take that honeycomb and bread. I'd like to eat that. You know, notice Jesus, after his resurrection, he also always seems to show up around food. Which is, I love that. But... Um, <laughs> Remember that in Galilee he had the breakfast on the shore. So, so Jesus actually ate it in front of them. He was flesh, but there's something about it. I mean, how, how did he actually come through this? So, again, are, are there other mentions? We don't know. We're, we're of course, limited to the, the three. Uh, and, and then I want to go through some heavenly bodies that were spe- specifically mentioned in the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy 4.19, those are warning first. You know, God recognized that this is going to amaze you, and, but don't worship them. It says, unless thou lift up thine eyes unto the heaven, when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, and shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all the nations. So he said, don't do that. It's amazing. I created an amazing world. Don't worship the, the creation. Worship the creator. And then, of course, the sun is obviously mentioned in the Bible. The moon's mentioned there. There's planets mentioned. Uh, in Acts, Mercury is mentioned. Venus is not mentioned by name. Uh, there is kind of a hint of it in Revelation 22, 20, uh, 16, where Jesus says, I'm the bright and morning star. Venus is the third brightest thing in the sky when you look out. It's oftentimes either a morning star or an evening star. I wonder if that's put there just for us to look at that and, and be reminded of who Christ is. Mars is mentioned, Mars Hill. Jupiter is mentioned in Acts. Saturn is not mentioned uh, by name. Um, of course, there's stars. I, I love this phrase in, in Genesis one sixteen. It says, "God made the uh, two greater lights and the, uh, the uh, two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night." And then this little phrase. I kind of think of this phrase as the Holy Spirit sort of anticipating the Hubble uh, Space Telescope. It says He made the stars also. And when you look at this, this is a deep field. Uh, so this was a image that they took, pointed the Hubble Telescope where there is no known stars. Uh, and then what came back, they opened the shutter for about 10 days, and what came back just blew them away. Almost everything, there's a few on here that individual stars in our galaxy, but almost everything is a separate galaxy. And so this is looking very far, and just that little phrase, he made the stars also. So there, there are actually some specific stars that are mentioned in the Bible. 
Um, Arcturus, I mentioned in Job. Um, so you, you can see Arcturus. So if you look out the western sky and the horizon uh, tonight, you can see Arcturus, assuming it's not cloudy. Um, then there's Orion, which is not just a star. It's actually a constellation of stars. This is mentioned uh, three times uh, throughout the Bible. There's also Pleiades, um, also mentioned in the same verses. Um, sometimes it's called Pleiades, sometimes it's called the seven stars. So it's actually a group of stars together. Um, and by naked eye, it's kind of a haze of, of stars. And once you get a telescope and look at it, it's seven different ones. And there's these clouds between them. It's actually quite spectacular. Um, and of course, we can't have this discussion without the star of Bethlehem, right? And then there's the Wormwood. Um, so this is mentioned in Revelation where this Wormwood star falls from heaven, it says, and it pollutes the water. So it says a third part of the, of the fresh water were, were polluted, and a lot of people died because of this. Now, when the word that gets translated in our Bible, star, it, it's a little bit more general than we think of stars. We have some very specific uh, categories, and there's certain sizes and certain compositions. And so when we say in the scientific terminology, star, uh, it, it's much more narrow than what the, the you know, Bible, again, you know, if you're looking at the King James translated hundreds of years ago, they saw stars as anything that wasn't the sun or moon that was sort of bright in the sky. So meteors, planets, planets, the name just means wander. So they thought those stars, they were kind of lost. They didn't know where they're going. They're kind of moving around the sky in a funny pattern. They couldn't really predict it very well, whereas the other stars, they, they consistently moved. Um, so just as a, uh, the star of Bethlehem, I, I don't have time to, to go into this. There's there is a um, video that I recommend, it, it's worth the time watching uh, about the Star of Bethlehem. I think Rick Larson was the, was the guy that put it together. Um, and he looks at these nine different characteristics that the star was supposed to have, and uh, based, again, on Matthew, um, the uh, wise men coming into Jerusalem. And he uh, basically looks back and says, okay, what's, what are all of these? Um, so, what was it? Well, there's these different, uh, different ideas. So one idea is it's supernatural. It, it, you know, it was somehow like the Shekinah glory. It was somehow a supernatural way that they were leading, uh, that God was leading the wise men to, to Bethlehem. Uh, some people thought it was a comet, some type of comet. Um, there's the other idea, the conjunction of planets. That's the video that I just mentioned. That, that's really what he came after. Uh, that Jupiter and Venus, there was a conjunction, and that it was in Leo the Lion, which refers to the tribe of Judah, you know, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and near the star Regulus, which is a, a king star. Um, something else? I, I don't know. Could, could it be something else? So I, I actually have a piece of software, and you can get these for free on your computer, on your phone, and you can basically wind time back, or even forward if you want to, to see where, where stars and planets and things are going to be at. Uh, so this is, um, it's, it's too small to see there, but this is 2 BC, uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning, looking from Jerusalem, and you're looking just north of east. Uh, and, and you can see, it's, it's, it's actually very small here. There's a conjunction of Venus and Jupiter where they overlapped. Um, and, of course, all this, you know, I, the bottom line is, if, if you're hoping to get the answer for this, I don't know. I don't know what the Star of Bethlehem was. Um, I, but, again, it's, it's worth looking into. It's, that video, I think, is very well done. It's worth looking at that. Um, you know, what, what was it? We, we don't really know. But this, this I, I, I tuned the software and, uh, to get to this and took a screenshot of it. Uh, but as, as it changes, 
you know, the, these things move and you can see, I don't know, you may or may not be able to see, but Lee of the Lion is just starting to rise over the horizon there. And so that's, that's his argument that it's in, uh, in Leo the Lion and refers to the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The fact is, again, we don't really know. We know that he predicted he's coming the first time. We also know that he predicted he's coming the second time. So the, really the encouragement to us is, are we ready uh, for that second time? This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.